Tonight's reading comes from John chapter 8, verses 33 through 37. Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my, king, my kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, my servants would fight, that I might not be handed over to the Jews. But my kingship is not from the world. Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. The word of the Lord. So today is Christ the King Sunday. How weird that there is such a thing. The full title of the day is the Feast of Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. I'm not kidding. King of the Universe. It's like the name of a cartoon character or a wrestler. It's meant to be funny, right? Ironic juxtaposing wildly disparate things, words that can't possibly sit comfortably together, Christ the King, the church calendar people are masters of absurdist wit. Or anyway, it's a fitting conclusion to our year of the alternative lectionary, where we've been examining the, examining the way the text establishes hierarchies and institutions, systems of power, and simultaneously deconstructs them. Pilate keeps pressing Jesus. Are you a king? They say you're a king, so, you are, so you're a king. You're a king. And Jesus says, you say I'm a king. But for this I was born to bear witness to the truth. It seems like the church might have picked up on the thing that the king is probably not a title that Jesus really wanted to hang on to. But I think maybe this is the thing. The church sort of wants a king. You know, you get your prom king, you get your homecoming king, your snow days king. Enough with this so-called democracy thing, this Jesus as a lowly servant thing. We want more of a celebrity. Someone that makes your heart race when you see him in the street. Not your common man, a king. Not like Henry VIII, obviously. But someone to worship, someone's picture to hang on your wall. So this is a while back now, but... Uh, my brother Andy helped to run this campaign for Matt Gonzalez, this Green Party candidate for mayor in, that was running for mayor in San Francisco. And Matt wasn't at all known to start out with. No one knew who he was. But he had such a beautiful and honest and totally not fueled 
by corporate interest platform that he ended up getting all this grassroots support. And it was so hopeful to Andy, and it was hopeful to me, too. It was like, wow, something unexpected, something outside of the machine can happen. But then I talked to Andy one day, and he was, like, totally deflated. They just had this event um, at the City Lights bookstore where Matt was appearing, and Andy said the place was so utterly packed. There were thousands of people. You had to wait hours to get in because there were thousands of people in the streets and all sorts of celebrities, and everyone was getting their pictures taken with Matt. And they had these really cool campaign posters that looked like rock star posters from the 70s. And everyone was buying them to get an autograph of Matt. And when Wack got up to talk, he, he just had to say 10 words. It didn't even matter what the 10 words were. And people just cheered no matter what he said. And Andy felt like everyone had lost their minds. Like whatever it was before, suddenly everyone was worshiping Matt. Like all these intelligent people who supposedly believe in grassroots power to the people, radical democracy, just crowned a king and they were bowing before him. This sort of thing happens all the time. Like we have some incessant compulsion to make kings. There may be 10,000 people working hard in a movement for anything, say protecting migrant workers. But what really moves us, what gets us excited, what makes it all take off is Cesar Chavez. We need a figurehead. We need a king, someone to inspire our desire and someone we desire. Someone the crowd waits for with anticipation. We make kings. It's like what we do. We can't stop. The media rolls them out one after the other, little kings. Big kings, fat kings, skinny kings, the kings of pop, punk, comedy, hip-hop, the kings of nerds, football, fashion, literature, nonviolence, and queens too, of course. We may identify ourselves as people with the critique of power and domination, but it doesn't for one second stop us from making kings. Revolutionaries churn out kings like Crazy, Sandino, Che Guevara, Johnny Rotten, Dr. King. We want powerful kings to lead our rebellion against powerful kings. It's almost like we don't know how to operate in the world without kings. Someone somehow removed from us that sort of inspires or maybe contains or maybe focuses or maintains or somehow governs our hopes and desires. It's not really a new thing. As we know, having trod this path many times during this past lectionary year, the people of God, the Israelites, wanted a king. They hadn't had a king. There was something about their faith that was sort of more essentially about struggling together as a people, not making an idol of anything, but it's a constant temptation. So it's about 400 pages into the Bible, and they can't stand it anymore. So the people talk to Samuel, the prophet, and they say, we want to be like the other nations. We want a king to govern us. And Samuel prays, and God says, Samuel? Tell them what will happen if they live under the reign of a king. The king will take their best olives and wine. The king will take 
their freedom. This seems to be a big deal to God, freedom. They will be like slaves. The people don't seem to care. They want a king. They insist. So God says, okay, Samuel, let them make their king. And there was not a man among the people more handsome than Saul. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people, never mind about his platform ethics values or general suitability for the position. He's handsome and tall. It's funny. I think it's meant to be funny and so weird that we keep doing the same thing 3,000 years later. We're an odd species. Seemingly so conscious and yet so lemming-like. Follow the leader, what's trending, the meme, imitate, replicate, repost. Our kings may not always be typically handsome or even human, but they're taller than all the rest of us somehow metaphorically. Like we just cannot make do with the ordinary. We need Kings, queens, stars, saints, someone with lots of followers to follow. There must be something that we want really badly that we think a king will give us. Some need that we have that we think a king will fill. Like somehow the power of the power will, powerful will surge through us and make us more alive. think that's how it works. However much it seems like kings give life, actually, they take it away. They cost us our freedom. That was God's warning anyway. You plug into their power, but the current's not running in your direction. You don't actually get power from them. It, they drain you of yours. They don't give us life. We live vicariously through them. Kings take life. The best olives and wine, they suck up your attention, your time, your mind, eyes, hands are occupied in service to them. God said that the king will become your master and you will become its slave. But kings help us to know what to do. Help us to know what to believe, where to eat, what to read, what to wear, what to listen to. There's like this unmanageable, chaotic, reckless diversity out there. Life is so full of infinite possibilities, swirling, shifting voices everywhere. We need some voice that helps us at least a little bit to sort through the multitude. Kings help us limit Help us decide what's right and wrong and good and beautiful and true. Kings help us to know what's acceptable, what's on our side. Kings help us so we don't have to decide or be confused or feel lost or out of control. So we know what to let in and so we know what to keep out. They make us less afraid. Kings fight our fights for us. We love kings. They really seem to make our lives easier. Why not give up some life for that security? Why not live vicariously through them instead of doing it ourselves? 
We want to be governed. It's like we're afraid of not being governed. It's almost like we don't really like freedom or believe in it all that much. So we give up our life, our freedom, to kings for security all the time in really little and really big ways in religion and politics and child-rearing and consuming and everything. The kingdom of the world is really a kingdom of kings. So the powerful rule the weak. The money wins almost every single time. Some sort of equitable distribution of power is like science fiction fantasy. Christ the King Sunday. What does it mean? Like, somehow other kings are bad, but Jesus is a very, very good king, the best king, the best governor, the best master ever to bow down before. Maybe God initially wasn't so into the king thing, but until God came up with this, the one power to rule the world. I don't think that's it. In the scripture for tonight, Jesus has been betrayed by all his followers, everyone who said they loved him. The religious establishment hates him and wants him dead. The crowds could care less about him. He's not a powerful man here. He gives up all his power. That seems to be the point, to die on the cross. All the Gospels lead up to this. This is the defining moment of his kingship. I mean, could you deconstruct the power of God any more thoroughly than Jesus on the cross crying, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every angle deconstructed. It's so unlike what we mean by king. It's like the word is emptied out and refilled with things we barely recognize, with things that have no relation to king in our vocabulary. When Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? Jesus says his kingship is not of this world. He's not kidding. In this story, it's not like God has everyone in his hands. It's like Jesus puts himself into the hands of the people. Obviously, a risky move. And to what possible end? What is the point of God emptying God's self of power, becoming utterly vulnerable? It seems like if God would use a little force now and then, take some control, God could do a lot of good. Govern us like a benevolent king. We'd probably like it better. It'd be easier. We like kings. But the prophets were always trying to get the people to understand that God doesn't want sacrifices. God doesn't want burnt offerings. God wants relationships. God wants intimate knowledge. It's like what God is looking for is not much 
exactly like worship, but love. Kings are removed, elevated, and the story of Jesus God becomes entirely unremoved. It's like God doesn't want to be in relationship to people like they're in relationship to their idols and their kings, where they give up their life and they give up their freedom. It's like God doesn't want subservient slaves. God wants love. It sets up a really different sort of a thing. Setting up probably isn't a very good way of putting it. Burnt offerings would be easier. Distance would be much less painful. Law is much less messy. Subservience is really much less scary, far more secure. Rules keep us safe. But Jesus is always saying that he comes to set us free. It's actually a little frightening. It's hard to believe that it's safe to give up power for love, to give up king-making or idol-worshiping for some sort of incautious, reckless, unruly communion. But I think that's what God, the king who refuses to be king, does and invites us to do.